to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yanis Jr. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On this show, we democratize the film criticism conversation by bringing on fans and critics alike to dig into their personal connection to a current or classic release. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcatchers. Also, drop us a rating or review on Apple if you get a chance. And this episode, I'm honored to welcome to the show Vanessa Taylor. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Happy to be here. So, uh, you're, I guess, the final part of the Geeky Waffle triad that uh, <laughs> that has finally debuted on the show. So tell people a little bit about your podcast, formerly Geeky Girl Gab, and who you are and, and all of that. Sure. Um, yeah, so we uh, are now geek, uh, the Geeky Waffle, formerly Geeky Girl Gab. And um, we are a, uh, a podcast blog website uh, just discussing all things geeky um we talk about a multitude of different fandoms from uh from star wars to supernatural to more star wars it seems nowadays uh, <laughs> to disney um and we actually currently have a new uh podcast that uh has been released that we will be uh uh, that will have multiple renditions, um, which is uh, straight out of home video, in which we we rewatch all of those '90s Disney straight straight to home video VHS uh, classics. <laughs> <laughs> in air quotes, uh, yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that that's uh, we're on we're on multiple different uh, mediums. Where we have our website, thegeekywaffle.com. Um, we're on Twitter at geeky or geeky underscore waffle as well as uh, on Facebook and uh, Instagram. Awesome. Yeah. So I had uh, one of your co-hosts on Candace Caw. I actually had both Candace and Brie on uh, at various points. So Candace reached out to me and said, have you done Back to the Future on your show? And I said, no. And she's like, I'm trying to get Vanessa on your, on your podcast. And I was <laughs> like, well, you you came to the right place when it comes to Back to the Future because that is one of my favorites as well. So tell me a little bit about, you know, when did you first see the, see the first film? I and mean, we'll talk about the, the trilogy as a whole on this episode, uh, but I, we're going to focus mostly on the first movie. And it, when, did, you know, when did you first see it? I know for me, I was born in 83, so I was a toddler when it came out. So I, don't, I feel like it just existed around me constantly. Is that <laughs> sort of your experience as well? Well, I, I, so I was born in 87, and um, so the first film had already obviously been been released by that point. Um, but I this is actually the first movie that I remember watching just because my my dad showed it to me when I was very, very young, probably too young. Um, <laughs> he, he had a history of doing that. But <laughs> obviously it made a very positive impression. Um, because it became one of my favorite movies and trilogies and uh, still still to this day um, you know I recently actually got engaged and um, oh, we're congratulations. Getting, we're getting oh thank you <laughs> but we're we're getting married on uh, on November 5th of 2021 and I had a mini freak out because November 5th is the date that he goes back in time yeah and also, our DJ is Great Scott Productions, so it all just seemed to kind of align. Um, <laughs> so that's just like obviously my my uh, very nerdy journey. Will you be wearing the uh, Lorraine Baines Enchantment Under the Sea gown 
you why know, do you work that, down the aisle? That is a very classic look. So I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not closed off to it. It might be up for consideration. <laughs> nice. Uh, so, what, you know, what are your thoughts on the trilogy as a whole? Like, I know some people really defend the third one because generally the, the consensus is the first one is a stone cold classic. Second one's kind of messy. Third one was a bit of a return to form. I feel like that is kind of the consensus that I've seen. And I feel very differently about the sequels. I mean, obviously the first one is sort of, untu- it, it, to me, it's in that untouchable realm with like the princess bride, like the wizard of Oz, like these perfect movies that you don't mess with. Uh, what are what is kind of your thoughts of the trilogy as a whole? I I mean I love the entire trilogy. I think that I'm uh, of the camp that the second movie is completely underrated because that's actually my favorite one. I agree. And I, yeah, <laughs> I don't I don't know why people uh, you know talk such shade about it. Um, but yeah, I've I've always loved the second one. But I think I think as a trilogy, it stands very strong um, because I don't think that there's a particular one particular point where I was where I was thinking you know what this has gone a little too far I mean obviously it's you know it's a movie that there's a lot of things that you have to suspend disbelief just like anything else but I didn't sit there thinking you know I'm just not buying this this is not this does not feel like back to the future I feel like every single one offers that that um that new kind of spark while also retaining the you know the basic like continuity and like inside jokes um, and so I, th- I think it, it stands very strong as a trilogy. And I, I know that at some point, you know, or, well, for many years, they were, people were asking, please make a fourth one, please make a fourth one. But I'm glad that they didn't because I think that they set it up in a way that was just this perfect little, um, you know, mini story. Yeah. And apparently Robert Zemeckis, the director and co-writer, Bob Gale, his, you know, screenwriting partner mm-hmm. on the first one. And I, I forget how it breaks down. One of them has a story, I think story by credit on Zemeckis and the sequels. I forget exactly how it goes, but it's the two of them apparently hold the rights to it. And they're like, that's not ha- ever happening in yep. our lifetime. <laughs> in fact, I think I saw, I don't know if you watched the uh, Josh Gad's reunited apart thing that they did, but there was a part on there where he asked about the fourth one. And they said they made a joke about the only way that they'd do a fourth one if it was about Doc and Marty going back in time to stop them from making a fourth one. And I, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I, I mean, yeah, go ahead. No, I was about I was about to say that you know I'm I, I all I remember was watching like back when back when it was just on VHS and they had the you know ma- making of Back to the Future that um, even back back at that far back, um, Kirk I think Kirk Cameron was the was on was actually like uh explaining all of the back to the future um you know the background and all the story behind it and then they they were like well is there going to be a back to the future four and he's like nope not gonna happen <laughs> yeah end of story no no shared universe for back to the future no, uh, which is oh, great except well except for the musical but <laughs> that's true that's a different medium i give it a, i give it a free pass that's, a little bit. yes exactly uh, but no, uh, I want to talk about the, the back to the, the part two thing that you mentioned, but also while we're on the subject of kind of the greater franchise before we get into the movies and then, you know, go on way too long about each of the films it's themselves. <laughs> have, have you, what have you gone on back to the future, the ride before it, it unfortunately departed? Oh, and absolutely. Absolutely. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, no, no, was, there, so, was there another question? A, a, there was a, an addition to that. Oh, sorry. A, and are, are, were you familiar at all with the Back to the Future, the animated series from the early 90s? 
I, okay. So let me, let me answer the, the second sure. one first. I was not really aware. I mean, I, I knew that it existed, but I didn't really watch it. Um, probably just cause I was too busy watching the series over and over again. Mm, right. Um, but the, but the ride that was my favorite ride of all time. Um, I, so I, I'm a, a Tampa, Florida native, so I lived very close to to Universal and um, was able was able to go there quite a bit. We had season passes uh, for for number of years, and they I it, I just was so giddy every single time I got in line for that ride. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was amazing. And so when um, when they finally you know when they did when they did close it, first of all I was incredibly upset especially considering they turned it into simpsons land and it was the exact same ride just with simpsons stuff pretty much um which infuriated me um but the i I was really happy when they put that that ride as an extra on the re-release on dvd because then i can just i can at least watch it and kind of pretend that i'm back on that ride (laughs) Yeah, I think what makes the ride so much fun is that it, it they have the kind of the pre-show thing with Christopher Lloyd and they have like the I feel like it was one of the one of the first examples of a theme park ride that was really bringing you into the world and I know Universal did that a lot afterwards with the the Terminator ride and uh, the Men in Black ride where you're like, "Oh my gosh, I'm actually in this world, you, you know, engage, interacting with these characters and I I'm a part of the story." And I, I, you know, I think the fact that they had Christopher Lloyd and Thomas F. Wilson involved, I always joke that that's basically the only Back to the Future 4 that I will accept is the ride (laughs) is kind of like Back to the Future 3.5. And uh, the animated series I was also aware of, and I probably watched a couple episodes, but it didn't really click with me. And so in preparation for this episode, in addition to watching the, you know, the five minute ride on YouTube uh, and watching the trilogy, I, I watched sort of like the beginning of uh, the theme song and a couple of clips from the animated show. And I was like, yeah, I could see why <laughs> I was like, no, this is not why the same. This is, yeah. I, I feel like I probably did look into it way back in the day and I'm like, you know what? I do, I, I do not want to ruin back to the future for me. So I don't think I'm going to be going down this route. <laughs> right. They tried to put Dan Castaneda as doc Brown. I was like, that's not, that's not the same. You can't, <laughs> you can't just plug him in there whenever your celebrities bounce. Cause I know you guys <laughs> For your straight out of home video, the first episode you did was Return of Jafar, and they tried to yep. do the same kind of thing there. And it's like this guy is Homer Simpson; he shouldn't be—he's he, not Robin Williams. He shouldn't be Genie. He's not—you know—it doesn't. He's you can't just plug him in anywhere like that. I guess just like name recognition, they're hoping that people I guess. might get hooked by that. I—I I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. Um, but also, I. I for part two, and we'll talk about this more later, but I was rewatching the movies for the millionth time. Uh, and two is always the one that I revisited the most as a kid. I think first one is probably the most objectively perfect movie of the bunch. But something about the sort of scattershot narrative that is too, where you're <laughs> like in the future, you're in the, you know, you're in 1955 again, the alternate timeline thing that all, all that really fascinated me as a kid. And seeing the Rotten Tomatoes score, it's like from like 90 something to like 60 something. Yeah. yeah. I I don't understand. And I, you know, I'm, I'm wondering why that is that, um, you know, that, that maybe we, maybe if, since we watch it as kids, I, I wonder if just the, the whole like futuristic aspect of it 
appealed and yeah. it, because it was so cool and different and just kind of struck a different chord um, of, you know, like as a kid, you're thinking, what is the future going to be like? If it was like this, that would be so cool. Flying cars. Yeah. <laughs> flying cars, flying DeLoreans. <laughs> <laughs> and it was in the middle. It, just while, just, I don't know if it's, I don't know. I guess it is just back to the future that Robert Zemeckis was on a streak. Like for me, like he had like five or six movies in a row that really are kind of pivotal films for my childhood. Yep. Back to the yep. Future. Look, let's, let's run through this real fast. Mm-hmm. First, Romancing the Stone before it, which is a good movie and I didn't oh. really see it as a kid, but it's, it is a really good movie. But, it, but yes, exactly. Very good. <laughs> uh, so 85, Back to the Future. 88, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which I've already mm-hmm. covered as like a Rob's choice on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> Back to the Future Part 2 in 89 and 3 in 90. Death Becomes Her in 92, which is another movie I love and I'm definitely going to cover at some point. And then Forrest Gump in 94, which is another, which I know is now really divisive and probably hasn't aged very well, but because I (laughs) liked it as a kid and the rose-colored nostalgia glasses, it's kind of grandfathered in. That all of those movies, just like 10 years straight of huge hits and just like completely landed in, in the zone for me. Yeah, and I I believe um I believe Christopher Lloyd was in Roger Rabbit just because he was working on Back to the Future. I mean, not just because, but you know, Bob Zemeckis was like, "Hey, I think you would be good in this role as well. Do you want to do this?" Right, which is weird to think that Roger Rabbit and is in some ways the less ambitious of those two endeavors because they did right, the sequels yeah. back to back. Yes, no, I, I but it, because that one was was so. I mean, I guess I guess this would be off topic, but that one was was just so different and new and incorporated. I mean, it, it, it blended cartoon life with reality. Right. I don't know how, I don't know how often it was done before that, but that was definitely, I feel like one of the, one of the, the first major films to ever do that. Right. And when they did do it before it was, you know, uh, what is it? Gene Kelly dancing yes. with Jerry. Like they were yes. in the same space, <laughs> but no, knowing, no engagement really with each other. There was no contact. Yeah, it was uh, cute, but it but this just took it to the next level. Right, exactly, exactly. And I think you could probably almost see some of those tricks that he learned on Roger Rabbit in maybe coming to Bear and Back to the Future 2 a little, just far as compositing together footage of mm-hmm. Thomas F. Wilson as multiple versions of Biff. Yep. <laughs> um, which we'll get into in a second. And, but, and Marty McFly yeah. as multiple versions of his entire family, basically. Pretty much. <laughs> but I think before we get too deep into all of that, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer for Back to the Future right now. Marty leads an ordinary life. No McFly ever amounted to anything in the history of Hill Valley. Well, history is going to change. And 1985 is not his year. But Dr. Brown is about to change all that. Are you telling me you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? He's sending Marty 30 years back in time. Now, he's trapped in the past. This has got to be a dream. About to meet... Chocolate. ...his future father. He's a peeping tough. Wow! And he's making an impression on his mother. He's an absolute dream. And he can sleep in my room. Ah. Anything you do could have serious repercussions on future events. Ah! Now, he's got to make his mother and father fall in love. For crying out loud, I haven't even been born yet. And only Dr. Brown... Can help him get back to the future. That was a little bit of the trailer for Back to the Future from 1985. As we said, directed by 
the great Robert Zemeckis, I guess, who hasn't, he's kind of fallen off a little bit over the years, uh, just with all his, um, I guess, his motion capture stuff, Beowulf, Christmas Carol, those things that haven't been as well received. And then his last couple really, really dropped off. So I'm hoping that the witches will bring him back. I think that's the next thing he has lined up. But that's, again, off topic. I, told, I had a feeling this was going to happen a lot, this episode. <laughs> so to start off our conversation on the, the first film, uh, generally, Vanessa, why is this movie so perfect? Uh, um, <laughs> How much it time is so do you have? Perf- it is, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is so perfect because, one, they somehow managed to make time travel epic. Um, I mean, it's not like time time travel in, in and of itself is not epic, but if you think of some of the other ways that that time travel has has been iterated, I feel like going back in time in a DeLorean. Um, I mean, what more could you ask for? And also, what more like I, when you when you're thinking about the actual storyline, and they they designed it this way. What was uh, it wasn't supposed to be something about like oh wouldn't it be cool to travel in time and see and see some sort of historic event because they didn't want people to have to you know know all these little intricacies about history or anything like that the main the main plot is wouldn't it be cool if you could go back in time and meet your parents <laughs> and I think everybody kind of wonders that because you hear you hear the stories about about your parents and you're like hey I wonder what what they were like back then and you know they that that actually was what they were what the creators were were thinking when they when they did this was they're like i wonder if i would have been friends with my dad it's personal history unless you have lin-manuel miranda doing a musical about history a lot of times people are just (laughs) you know you're alienating the majority of your potential audience and this this makes it like you were saying this makes it universally relatable it does and it's just it's it's action. It's comedy. Um, it it has a little, you know, a little bit of drama, but most mostly it's just it's just a fun movie, and it keeps you on the edge of your seat the entire time. Whether whether it be you know the the fantastic you know lightning lightning clock tower sequence, uh, or even just him first running into to his dad, which is a very a very you know short thing, uh, but it's. It's it's just very epic in its own right. Yeah, this is one of the it's one of those examples where every element just lines up perfectly. You know, we mentioned how uh, you know the science fiction elements interact with the comedy. How the I I think the cast is really the key here. I mean, we'll talk about the visual effects and the music and things like that in a second. But do you think this movie would have worked with Eric Stoltz as Marty McFly as it was initially, or at one point? You know, I think they were like five not. weeks yes. in it. Oh yeah, they were, they were, they were, um, they were quite a bit into shooting, and I think that they had already spent about four million dollars, and <laughs> and they were just like, you know, he's just a little too brooding, and I, I mean, I real, I really agree. I, if you look at Michael J. Fox in you know m- many of his roles, he just has this kind of timing and and um, like comedic timing, but also just a, a variability in and um, in the way that he can then he that he performs. Um, and so I think that the the range of what Marty McFly is and what this movie is, that really needed to be handled by somebody specific. And I think Marty Mar- or sorry, Michael J. Fox was was perfect for that. You need that I I think inherent likability, but also that sort of shorthand that you get that this is inherently a a good kid. 
he was kind of scrappy, kind of mischievous, kind of Alex P. Keaton-esque. And obviously yes. in a lot of ways that was, that was his, Fox's jam at this point. And, uh, and he was, and he was filming Family Ties at the same time that he was right. filming Back to the Future, which was, which is insane. I mean, they, he would get up, um, you know, super early in the morning. He would be taken to Paramount uh, at 9.30 a.m. To, uh, to to start filming there. And then they would end at 5 for Family Ties. And then he would be driven to whatever site they were filming for Back to the Future that day. And then somebody would drive him home, like, basically right before dawn. He would sleep for a few hours and then repeat. <laughs> There are so many legendary stories like that about the making of this movie, the Eric Stoltz thing, the Michael J. Fox, just like sleeping for like, like non, like basically not sleeping for months on end yeah. to just pull these things <laughs> off. There's the whole legend about how some studio executive wanted to call it Spaceman from Pluto or something yes, like be, that. Well, be, yes, because he thought he <laughs> thought that they, the Back to the Future title was confusing because he's like, wait, if you're going back, how are you going to the future? And they, they were like, no, no, <laughs> we're not naming it Spaceman from Pluto. This is why it makes sense. Well, but, but apparently they played it off like it was a funny joke about that title. And he was like, oh, crap, never mind. Yeah, yeah, that's right. exactly the way I meant it. But it, it, I mean, to be to be fair, he did have a point. John Mulaney, I don't know how familiar you are with his work. But oh, love him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. He's got a whole the whole bit for people listening. He's got a whole bit about. We what are you going to call this thing? Back to the past? Like, no, no. Back to the future. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, as a John Mulaney fan and a Back to the Future fan, one of my favorite bits. But not only that, he has the other thing when this kind of, this is a nice transition into the other dynamic duo that, that grounds this whole trilogy, Christopher Lloyd. Oh. You know, this movie, they're just friends. Like, 17 year old kid and he's friends with a as john mulaney says disgraced nuclear physicist um what is did you ever even wonder that as a kid like i just somehow accepted that they were like yeah this is his buddy the the funny thing is is i just accepted i don't know if it it was because i was a a kid when i first watched this and i accepted a lot of things um but but like i continued to accept a lot of things and it wasn't until people started talking about that that kind of stuff um that that i was i was like oh yeah that doesn't really make sense why would he be friends like what is their backstory we never get a backstory and um, but but I, it's really interesting because they they kind of tr- I, I think that that works better because trying to to create a backstory for that I don't know if I would have accepted any backstory. Uh, the the original you know the original draft that they had they had a um, uh, a movie pirating business together, and uh, uh, the Marty character was actually like super anti you know um, anti establishment and kind of rebel kid and. Uh, Doc Brown, then named Professor Brown, was doing it to fund his experiments as well as uh, as well as buy food for his his pet monkey at that time, which is the first one in the first version. The monkey was the one that time traveled the first time. Um, so it, you know, that that backstory. Obviously, I feel like they probably would have improved on it, just like they improved on many things uh, from the first draft, but. I, I think that maybe they just couldn't figure out a good backstory and they just at some point were, were just like, yeah, you know what? The, the, the dynamic will work. Everyone will accept it and we'll just move forward. And it, and it worked. I don't know if that was, maybe that wasn't the, maybe that was a very bold move, but hey, it paid off. <laughs> well, when you have this much 
going on story-wise, I think you just move, the movie moves past it very quickly. Yes, exactly. It it reminds me of, I I think Groundhog Day had a similar thing where they had a whole backstory for how he got caught in this time loop involving like a gypsy woman or something. And, and at some point they were just like, I don't think we need any of this. Let's just roll. (laughs) It's, it's a magical realism. Let's just go with that. And and look what happened there. I feel like that also would have bogged down that film. Exactly. And, you know, maybe if if uh, if it wasn't such a, a great pairing, they w- they would have had some issues with people believing it. But the chemistry between Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd was just it was just insanely amazing. Yeah. Speaking of insane, one question I had here, too, that I wanted to touch on and then we'll get more into Lloyd and the rest of the cast is Doc Brown insane, because I feel like this movie <laughs> sets him up. To kind of like to kind of be like, I mean, he's already essentially the de facto image in my head of a, a mad scientist. I mean, not only does he have all like these Rube Goldberg machines everywhere doing all his work and a, a big ass speaker, and he's dealing with terrorists and you know has plut- a case of plutonium shoved under like a, <laughs> a, a mattress or a couch or wherever it was. Um, what do we what do we think of Doc Brown's I, mental I, state? I prefer to think of him as more of just an eccentric genius. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, if you think about it, he he is very he is very energetic and, and that's the the energy is kind of what gives him this this like crazed look sometimes. Right. But most of the times the stakes are so high that I don't know. If my mind was working a million miles an hour to try to get somebody back to their time period because otherwise everything is going to be completely screwed up i i don't know maybe i would maybe i would act the same way i really love i mean doc brown i'm not obviously not knocking doc brown at all he's one of my favorite movie characters possibly of all time yes (laughs) just because he he has some of the best lines in the trilogy just the way he's just especially in the sequels i think he gets more into things like uh Oh, this could be a, a, a rip through the space-time continuum. Things like that. The way that he, uh, the way that he <laughs> is so casual about things. I, I wrote down, and now our, is our first instance of our conversation sort of bleeding into the sequels. But he says uh, it's after Marty's com- confrontation with uh, alternate Biff, alternate uh, Trumpish Biff, mm-hmm. and uh, has that whole oh, "We're going to have to go back to 1955." And he says, and he talks about. Uh, Oh, this could be the the uh, you know a, a nexus of uh, whatever, like a phone of the most important time periods in in history, or like whatever he says, and and he's like, oh, it could just be an incredible coincidence, <laughs> and it's just one of it's that self awareness that these movies pull off so well, where you're like, or we could just need to because it was the first movie, everybody, you know, and I I, I love that attitude. At one point, he break he essentially breaks the fourth wall in this movie where he's like, we're going to have to send you. And he turns to basically almost to the camera, back to the future. Back to the future. Yeah. And then just like, like looks off into space. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's that, that's, that's kind of uh, high energy. And like, he's like, he's living in his, he's in a completely different headspace uh, as the, the rest of the, the characters. And I, I love that about him. He has that sort of all knowing vibe, especially in the sequels where he's traveled through history a little bit more and he's yeah. tricked out his, his uh, DeLorean. <laughs> and again, and again, like I, I just think that his mind is just moving a million miles an hour. So that's just also how he acts. 
Like I, you know, speaking of just all the lines that he has when he's in, I believe it, it it's Back to the Future three at the very beginning when, uh, when Marty's there and and then Doc Brown Doc Brown wakes up because he had passed out because Marty came back again. Um, he he wakes up and is talking about the about the this like crazy dream he had that Marty had come back, and then he starts going off on all these possibilities on how that might have happened, and just at, at a million miles an hour again, which is a very big tribute to Christopher Lloyd's acting, mm-hmm. because think of all of the lines that he had to memorize with all of these random scientific and non scientific terms that he had to then just completely speak and uh you know go 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 incredibly quickly uh and then vary everything and just the timing it was amazing it was i, I feel I, I feel like um yeah I, I think that that dynamic between the two of them is the foundation for the whole trilogy and i think it makes if that if that casting like we were been saying if that doesn't work everything else falls apart. Like, no, but mm-hmm. we wouldn't even be talking about this movie right mm-hmm. now. Was, and I doubt Eric Stoltz would have had the same chemistry uh, well, with Christopher so, yeah, Lloyd. Yeah, all of the casting, all of the characters, like this was all, it, it's just it's just crazy looking at the entire story and like this this could have been a major flop. Mm-hmm. It could have been a major flop uh, from, from the whole, you know, the first draft and, and you know, actually some of the subsequent drafts up until this one, because, uh, you know, like originally the the time machine was this random energy converter. And then when he comes back from the 50s, it, it was in a refrigerator. Uh, <laughs> to- yeah, did you did you see that recently? I, I just recently came uh, across that. John Cryer, who auditioned for uh, Michael J. Fox, uh, the, you know, Marty McFly, he he detailed this whole thing where that the Indiana Jones fridge thing was actually in the in an early draft. Yes, uh, yes, yeah. Is this something that people have known, or did this just come out? Because I um, never heard it before. Well, I, I I don't know. I don't really know. I have so they they um the, the reason that I I know that one specifically is because they released on uh or at least near the I think October twenty first uh, twenty fifteen date a um a book that's uh, Back to the Future: The Ultimate Visual History, and so it has a lot of that information in there as far as the uh, the like the drafts and and all of these like these crazy things that happened um and so they 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 have a like a very detailed description of the first drafts of the movie and that's when i learned about it <laughs> and that's yeah. also that's also yeah. why i feel maybe the because the first you know the first iteration of of marty was like a bit more of a rebel and probably a bit more brooding which is why Maybe they did cast Eric Stoltz because originally they kind they still may have had a little bit of that idea in their mind as as part of his character, mm-hmm. and then just realized that it wasn't working out. And then yeah. and then Christopher Lloyd almost wasn't in this movie either because when he first read the script, he threw it in the trash. <laughs> if it was called Spaceman from from Pluto, I, I don't blame him. But right, <laughs> but then he was he was very happy that I actually I actually don't know how he ended up. Um, uh, taking on the role after doing that but he I, I know that he was incredibly happy that he did because again it opened up so many opportunities for his career it just sent him on a you know very different path um but one that he was he was insanely happy with so yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of things behind this movie that it it originally could have been a flop 
but the fact that they you know uh, they reached a draft that was that was actually pretty intriguing even though obviously still a lot of suspense and disbelief and the fact that they had this amazing chemistry between these two actors um among among other things obviously was was very key because the whole heart of the movie really is that friendship. I mean, obviously you, you have the relationship with Marty and the way he sees his parents. And that's, that's all obviously the kind of entry mm-hmm. point for a lot of people is just, well, what would my parents be like? You know, mm-hmm. early in the movie, Lorraine is like, Oh, girls chasing boys. By the way, <laughs> while we're on the topic, I'm 37. These people are supposed to be like 40 something and they look like they're 70. Well, like, I you know the I think old age that, makeup is is all over the place. Well, but I think that that was intentional because if you if you see the first part of it, obviously they look really they, they do look older and they look very run down. But when he comes back and he's fixed everything, they look they look what you're actually supposed to look like at that age. <laughs> it just always struck me that way. I'm like, wait a minute, he's four, <laughs> like right now. Michael J. Fox is 59. He looks. Younger than forty-seven-year-old Marty McFly in Back to the Future Part Two, and that's the, well, that's true, yeah. <laughs> or and like Biff, uh, old Biff, who I guess is supposed to be like in his late seventies, looks like he's hundred and ten. Yes, so, <laughs> I feel like they're just way over exaggerating the the old age makeup, which I think, in some respects has not aged well. I think like you see Strickland's old age old makeup in like the beginning of the first one, and his neck just looks a little. I don't know, plasticky maybe, but I think for the most part it works. <laughs> you know, when they made these movies in the eighties and, and early ninety, obviously nineties, uh, obviously, um, they were not accounting for high definition and all those other things. But I, I think that being said, it, it mostly holds up. But yeah, we're going we're going on tangents again. But I was saying about <laughs> the heart of their their friendship because the the climax of the movie isn't even really the lightning storm. The the emotional climax of the movie is his racing back to save Doc from the Libyans. Yes, exactly. Well, there's, I feel like there's multiple climaxes, honestly, well, which yes. is, which is why, which is also why this is a great movie because it just, again, it keeps you, it just keeps you interested. It keeps pulling you in further and further. Um, and so I would say that, you know, the, the first one probably is obviously getting his parents back together, uh, which is the, the kiss that they share at the, at the dance. And then, it's the lightning storm and then it's going back in time. And okay. So this is one thing that I did notice um, without, and I I know that it's, it's very people, other people have noticed this as well, but I Mm -hmm. I noticed this on my own as well, which was the, he's like, Oh man, you know, I need to like, I got all the time in the world. I should go back in time to save him. Uh, 10 minutes is fine. (laughs) And he's just, I'm like, no, are are you, are you crazy? Yeah. (laughs) Like you could you could go back at le- like thirty minutes, forty five minutes, an hour. I don't know, like anything, in order to make this not happen. I don't understand how you thought this would work, especially right. since like ten minutes before. What are you going to do? Are you gonna, like you don't even know where the Libyans are coming from? So what are you going to stop them? Are you going to go warn him, which is going to be difficult because then you have, you know, he would have had to gone ba- go back like a day and found Doc Brown when his other self was not around. So that there would be no issues in, you know, seeing your other self, even though I don't think he knew about that, you know, at, at the time. Or did he know about that at the time? No, I don't think so. No, I think, I they, think so. They, they did that in Back to the Future, too. But, yeah, there, he could have gone back a day and then just found Doc Brown and said, hey, listen, this is happening. 
and it would have been fine. But no, 10 minutes, that that's enough. There's a lot of human error in these movies. I mean, there's that. <laughs> there's also in the, you know, watching the third one last night, uh, he, you know, he's like, he's, so Doc dies on, you know, September 7th. I'll go there, you know, or whatever, September, September, whatever. And he's like, I'll go the day after he sends me the letter. That gives me five days. I'm like, dude, you can go three months earlier. Be like, Doc, I'm here. Let's get out of here. You're going to write me a letter in three months. That's all you really need to know. And, and, and then it's, you know, it would be over. But the movie, the movie just barely skates by with all of that. Well, you can, well, you can rationalize out of it and be like, well, in that case, Marty thought, well, I'll go there. The machine will still be working, of course, because there's no way it's going to get hit by an arrow and, and leak <laughs> fuel everywhere. And then we could just hop in and peace out. I don't you know. You know, I also, I also feel with all of the issues they've had fueling that thing with, you know, whether it be gas or, or whatever it is, they, why don't they keep an extra gasoline can in the car? Especially for cases like this where you're, where you're thinking you're going back in time, there's not going to be gasoline. Mm-hmm. That's really on Doc Brown, honestly. But then again, really Doc is. Brown doesn't he doesn't he doesn't even seem to know what the what the West is at that point because he dresses Marty in these ridiculous clothes and, and then just just is like, yeah, this is what they wear in all the movies. And I'm like, when did you actually really start loving the old West? Because I feel like you have a very weird view on it at this point <laughs> well the movie opens the third movie now now we're all over the place but that's cool the third movie opens with howdy Judy. so i guess that's where we're watching howdy Judy uh, as is kind of his the biggest uh because <laughs> he dresses marty like howdy Judy, kind of and by the way since we're on the topic for two people who for for two people who are so concerned with tampering with history they seem they do it literally all all the time pun intended just like that's their entire thing is I have to go back and save this person, but ah, oh, Clara Clayton, she should have gone over the thing. That was her well, destiny. And the funny, th- the funny thing about the Clara Clayton thing is that, again, okay, so Doc Brown just was not thinking. I know that obviously in the moment you're probably just having this human feeling of like, oh my gosh, let me go save this person because she's about to die. Right. Um, but. In his mind, I feel like something should have gone off as far as not even connecting that she was she was the supposed to go over the ravine, but just the fact that if I intervene, obviously history changes. Mm-hmm. And but but again, that could have applied to the entire third movie, like you're saying, where it's like just him existing in 1885 could potentially change the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But the, this the movie set up. That the only rule they have to abide by is don't meet your other self, mm-hmm. apparently. And they kind of don't, they kind of adhere to that. That's about, that's about the only rule that they, they do stick with, though. But yeah, um, <laughs> that's why, it, you know, watching the trilogy, it's, it's kind of, it feels like a natural progression that by the end of the third one, by by like midway through the second one and then the third one he's like oh we just need to destroy this it's like it's basically building up to time travel don't mess with it it's a bad idea and then he turns and makes a train one anyway it's like okay (laughs) yes i I I don't know dude you're all over the place it's like your your future is whatever you make it and it's like okay that's cute and all but at the same time didn't you just teach us with this these past three movies that you should not mess with it (laughs) (laughs) oh jeez. um 
I want to talk about, I like that we're, I like going through the cast. I think this is kind of an, a good way of sort of hitting a lot of things. Yeah, definitely. So, so the first movie to me feels like um, either the Marty or the, you know, George and Lorraine movie, obviously. I feel like if you, cause I'm trying, I was trying to assign characters to each movie. And I think if you consider Marty the through line for the trilogy and sort of the everyman, our entry point, the audience surrogate, whatever. The first one is the George and Lorraine movie, clearly, because the whole plot revolves around that. The third one is the Doc movie because he gets the most screen time and and uh, in that one, I would say, of all of them and the most you know personal story. And then the second one, and this probably explains why it's my favorite, is the Biff movie because I mm, really, mm-hmm. really love Biff Tannen as a villain, as a character. He's still... He's, you were saying about Doc Brown being one of my favorite movie characters of all time. I basically consider Biff Tannen one of my favorite movie villains of all time. And I think the second one is the reason why, because you have like four different characters that Thomas F. Wilson plays. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And Thomas, Thomas F. Wilson is just another, another one of those, those cast members who is, who, who just fits the part so well. And he's, he's such a great guy in, in real life, or at least a, he seems like one. Um, I don't know if you've seen, he, he's done a little bit of, of, of uh, stand up comedy, mm-hmm. um, after, after the fact. And, uh, you know, a lot of it does have to do with certain back to the future things. Like he has a, he has a song that's like, uh, I think it's called the question song. Mm, yeah. And it's just talking about all of these people who come up to him and are just like, Oh my gosh, like, was that real manure? Um, did you <laughs> like, what is, what is this? What is that? And to, like, just asking all of these random questions about back to the future future like you know how how um or how is marty or marty flyer michael j fox in real life etc and it's just like man that must that must suck to kind of be (laughs) the bad guy of the movie and just have everybody ask you about everyone else (laughs) right no and he's to really he's to me the unsung like asset of this trilogy he really well and and off and honestly i mean he's he is a big part of the plot in I mean, every single one of them, basically. Right. I mean, well, except for, I mean, well, Biff or, and or Mad Dog, Buford, Tam, Tannen. Yeah, the, the second one is where he drives the entire plot. And I love that yes. in the beginning of this, you know, in the first one, he's kind of the, the high school bully, uh, which is what you see him as as a kid. And then you rewatch it. You're like, whoa, hashtag me too. Like, this guy, this kid's a straight up rapist. In oh, this yeah. That's, like, that's another thing. Like, talking about stuff that you didn't really realize for a long time uh that was something that i didn't really realize that was was like that horrible until way later um and then of course the whole incest right. you know th- aspect of things <laughs> um which originally i think you know put a lot of people off to it um but but yeah I, it's it's that that definitely is one of those things where uh, where it doesn't age well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, not that it was not that it was great at the time, but <laughs> right. But as a kid, you're like, oh, he's just trying to steal some kisses. What a what a yeah. He's I a, what a stinker. well. I thought you know I I knew that you know she she didn't want to kiss him, and so right. that's why I thought she was struggling, and and so I was just like, oh okay, you know that that sucks, and good thing that George showed up. But right. that's it. <laughs> that's the extent of it. In in a in a PG rated movie and. As a, I mean, as a kid, you don't realize how bad he is. And then watching it as an adult, you're like, wow, this guy is literally the worst person. Uh, and in a way, I feel like that makes his character more compelling because he is so bad. Like he is, it makes him even scarier and more chilling uh, throughout all of them that he, he, um, 
He's actually a really bad Yeah, guy. <laughs> it, it makes it weird in 1985 when he's like, oh, hey, here's your new book. I'm like, this guy, you keep him around? The guy that tried to rape your wife? I don't... Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's I, the weirdest <laughs> part, but okay. I, I didn't even actually think about that until now, but that that is very, very weird. Why would oh. you just... Because, I, I mean, I get the whole, you know, like reverse... Well, not reverse bullying, but you know, in a, in a way, he's just like, okay, now you know you were you were terrible to me, and now I own you, kind of thing. Yeah. Um. But yeah, why wouldn't you just be like, you know what? I'd never want to see you again. Exactly. Please leave me and my wife alone forever. No, he's just he, he, he <laughs> makes a comment of like, oh, Biff, I've had to, I have to keep keep an eye on him ever since high school. I'm like, or you can just not. I mean, just an idea, right? <laughs> Instead of like, Biff, don't con me. I want two coats of wax this time. Um. <laughs> But yeah, Biff is so... In the first movie, he's just the bully slash uh, aspiring rapist, I guess. And then in the second one, they retcon the ending, not only by switching the Jennifers. Yes, which always... Which which honestly, as again, as a kid, I, I was aware enough to understand that it was different because the way that they said the lines were different. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason, I never connected that it was a different Jennifer. Right. Well, the first Jennifer in the first movie, she's just there to give Marty her her grandma's house number where she's going to be over the weekend, I guess, and then disappear while he goes off on time travel adventure. So it's it's easy. She's basically a non character in one and three. She has only a little bit to do in the second one, which is just to be shocked by how old she is that she got married <laughs> in Chapelo Love. Like we're on my let's put it this way: on my list of cast members, I wanted to talk about. I didn't even have Jennifer listed there. Because she yeah, Elizabeth, is, well, Elizabeth Shue, I, and I think that they actually wanted her for the from the beginning. I, mm. I this this might not be true. Um, if you're listening to this, look this up. But I, I believe that they actually wanted her from the beginning, but for some reason weren't able to get her. So they, but because she was able to sign up for two and three, they just completely switched that in part, and then it was just like, okay, now you're Jennifer. Sorry, other actress, I guess Claudia Wells. She, yeah, yeah, she she seemed. I mean, she seemed fine. Yeah, I think yeah. that she was good as jennifer but yeah maybe maybe they just wanted the name recognition or something i don't, I don't know. know i don't know i it's not I like they saw, needed it at that point but right exactly i think I, I saw an imdb trivia and i don't know if this is accurate either that they offered her two and three but i think her mom got sick or something so she turned it down claudia wells i'm not sure exactly oh. which legend is which story is true but all right yeah, so yeah I we have been, we have something to research i later. know seriously homework <laughs> Uh, I, 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 yeah, I like either Jennifer, I guess, but like I said, she's so non-essential that you don't even, it's like in, uh, what is it? Thor, the dark world where they switched out Fandral, one of Thor's buddies. And you're like, Oh, different guy with blonde hair. Didn't even notice. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But, but um, going back to Biff in the second one, they, they retcon in the beginning where the, you know, where we're going, we don't need roads. They take off. And then he sees the flying DeLorean in 1985, which is the the incident that kicks off the whole movie, because then he recognizes it again in 2015, goes in there, takes a little joyride, and and rewrites history. Uh, and that to me was such an interesting idea that you can go back and and create an entire like I was such a a little geek child, I guess, for for loving that <laughs> chalkboard scene. And I was like, splits off into oh, another yeah, yeah, yeah. hill valley. And I was like, this is so cool that you know. This the second one. I think it's just the, the the machinations of the plot, like that, really drew me to it over the first one, and that's really all comes from Biff. Yeah, that's 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 very true, and uh, the the whole um, 
you know, just the, the whole idea of going back and, and he, the funny thing is, is that he actually is kind of brilliant in a way because he realized that he could just go back and make whatever life he wanted to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, obviously it sucks because he ends up, well, this is a deleted scene, but when he comes back to the future in the deleted scene, he actually just erases from time because obviously that future Biff d- no longer exists. Mm, interesting. So yeah, I think it, it, yeah. so it's it kind of it's kind of interesting because I wonder what he actually thought he was doing, um, because obviously he has this great idea. Oh, great! If I go back in time, and I you know I give myself this book, I will become insanely rich. I wonder if he was planning on coming back and just having all of those riches waiting for him when he came back, and that's why he did it. It's possible. Biff doesn't normally think things through all the way to conclude, make, Correct, like a, yeah. make like a tree and get out of here. I mean, he always drops it at like the 11th hour. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of his thing. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, yeah. I love, I love Biff. It's such a great villain in this movie. Um, and they, they toy with the, the uh, McFly Tannen rivalry, which runs multi-generational all the way apparently all, yes yeah yeah <laughs> from the wild west with the uh, Seamus McFly all the way through to Griff and uh, Marty Jr like there's like 130 years at least of McFly Tannen <laughs> back and forth and that's the kind of thing that like for me I I love the second one because it captures to what I what I assume having a time machine would would be like like that it's like it's I had notes about this and now I can't hear yeah. it's, it's more, ap- uh, it's more episodic in that they hop around a lot, but it really captures like the possibility of what mm-hmm. it would be like to have a time machine where you go to the future, you go to the past, things can get messed up. You have to go fix the, like the complications that it would arise from it. Whereas the first and third are much cleaner. And uh, I think in the, by the time they got to the third one, they were doing like wild West versions of bits from the first one. And that's to me where it started to feel like, okay, the formula is kind of winding down a little bit for me. Who's not particularly swept up in the Western genre as a whole. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I mean, that's the thing is that um, originally uh, back to the future three was, was my least favorite because it, I just did the old West kind of thing didn't, didn't really appeal to me. But I, I, I think I, but I just got over it because it's, it's obviously still a great film and it continues the entire story of back to the future. And I think it was, was the perfect way of, of ending it. I mean, even though we've, we've already discussed the logistical flaws and the way that it ends, but, but still, I think, I think that, um, that it definitely held its own after, like after this, the first two. But 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 you're you're right. I, I think, and maybe that is why the back to Back to the Future two because it is just a little more complex. People just maybe maybe they were less maybe they were they were more reluctant to believe it, mm-hmm. or they thought that it was it was just too much going on. But yeah, I, I I agree with you that it was it was really cool just to see all of the different you know intricate ways that these timelines intersect. It's also I. For my money, one of the best examples of kind of a a retroactive trilogy, because clearly when they made the first one, it didn't have a to be continued at the end. It was just, Mm -hmm. and then they had more adventures, the end. (laughs) And then when they did two and three, shot them back to back, which again is something that the Matrix franchise did, the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise did. And Pirates, 
also had kind of a retroactive trilogy in that they took the the compass and they made it they kind of retconned a little bit what it could do and made that the jumping off point for the sequels i think these the second one does a really good job of of making it feel my minus the jennifer switch and the the loss of crispin (laughs) glover which we didn't even get to him yet Uh, (laughs) minus that i think it does a really good job of making it feel seamless in that they already had that lean that lead into the sequel in that I didn't even know I've seen these movies a bazillion times and I didn't even notice until this most recent watch that he says in here doc said uh, Marty asks doc oh what are you gonna do now he's like oh I'm gonna go 25 years into the future and I could see who wins the, the next 25 world series and I was like that yeah. sounds like the plot to the second one well, I mean <laughs> well and yeah and originally the, I think that that was actually the um in the first draft of the the original movie because they uh, Marty initially was was the one with the plan of like ooh, let's go back and and get this you know get all this this information so that we can bring it back to the future and uh you know Doc Brown's like absolutely not but he sneakily turns it back to the past also he wanted it to he wanted to invent rock and roll but uh <laughs> that's beside the point <laughs> yeah one of one of the only uh and one of and then again another aspect of this movie that in light of black lives matter and you know representation and diversity yeah. and everything that we're now finally shedding a light on the fact that michael j fox goes back and steals rock and roll from chuck berry not a, not, yeah. a, not particularly a good look but you know <laughs> well, no but at the same time it was it's like it, I, I feel like at that point it was innocent enough i hope right. but but yeah it, it's it's that's one of those things where you're looking at you know today's climate you're exactly. like maybe maybe not such a great thing <laughs> To be fair, though, with the doc mentioning the World Series thing, he says in the in the second one, "I did not make the, the you know the the time machine for financial gain." He doesn't say in the first one that he's going to go bet on those World Series. He no, just wants to know true. who wins. So that, that is true. He's you know he, <laughs> so he didn't I, say it. <laughs> it's another one of those almost potholes that you're like, wait a minute, and like, oh, that's right. You, know, you can get around. Like you can barely get around get around it. And I think it's the fact that this these movies are so tightly written. I mean, just the little, the little details, I'm sure you know about how it's Twin Pines Mall and then oh, yeah, and Lone Lone Pine Mall. Yep. <laughs> like there's, there are a million different little things that you notice every time you watch these movies. And a lot of it is, is so brilliantly constructed just from a storytelling p- standpoint. Yeah. But, I think, but, and okay, I, go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, I just, I think that from a, yeah, from, from a whole time travel, because time travel obviously is, is a very debated topic as, as far as like, you know, if it did exist, how exactly would that flow? Um, and, and there've been a lot of different movies and shows that have tried to take a crack at their own version of time travel. But I feel like this is, this is one series where you can just see that they legitimately thought through the entire thing. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously there's, there's some, there's some holes and there's some differences because it's just, it's not, it's not a perfect system without knowing exactly what time travel is, but they really did think, like you said, the, the Twin Pines Mall and then now it's Lone Pine Mall. Like they, they had these little details that they peppered in that just made it, made it seem that they, they really followed this from beginning to end and they imagined what, you know, what each consequence was of, of each action in the past. Yeah, there's so much care and like love and attention to detail in these things. And I think that's part of what makes it seem so special. And the fact that they weren't planning the trilogy out in advance, but then make it fit 
like they did by little things, just having the first one be all about, you know, the clock tower. And then Mm -hmm. uh, the second one, obviously they revisit that. But then in the third one ends with Doc Brown giving Marty a gift, uh, the photo of them in front of the clock tower, (laughs) which was being constructed when they were in there. And like the way it all comes full circle. And I think that's part of why the fan base has been so protective of like, no, no, you can't make a fourth. This is like, it's a perfect circle. You can't, yes. you're going to make it yes. like a, a cue or something. You can't, <laughs> you can't add anything to that. It's just, it cannot be. Yeah. They, fi- they fixed on. everything. They're fine. Don't, don't do it. Don't do anymore. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, the fact that like the, uh, he's types in November 5th, 1955 on the, uh, the, you know, on the keypad there to show, oh, you, you know, the day I invented time travel. And then it just gets left on there. And that's why Marty ends up back at that day when he, when he just drives off. Yeah. Uh, and and that makes it, and that makes it, you know, completely plausible for him to, to go and be like, okay, I, I have a way of proving now that I know, yeah, or that I, that I can, that I am from the future. And because I know exactly what, what happened today, you hit your head, you invented the flux capacitor. <laughs> right, right. It, it all fits. It's not just, obviously you have to go with certain movies, suspension of disbelief, the time machine, the fact that uh, everyone in everyone's family looks identical, essentially. Well, that, we didn't even, we didn't even touch about that where, where, <laughs> I mean, obviously, yes, like Biff is playing himself in multiple different iterations, but uh, Michael J. Fox in the second movie played obviously his older self and then his son, and also his daughter, his daughter, which is hilarious because that's another thing that I did not realize as when I was young. I was just like, she's acting kind of weird. <laughs> and, and then later on when I actually realized it, I'm like, oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> I think it's the voice that really adds like, mom. Yeah. The, the, the like high pitched. Uh, I don't even know. If, I don't even remember what his daughter's name is, actually, because she's not I really. I don't know either. Is she she doesn't really have. Uh, I'm going to see if I can find it now. Uh, Marlene McFly, of Marlene, course. right. Naturally. Instead of Marty Marlene. Oh, jeez. Oh, it's terrible. It is. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so... I also want to just bring up, and then we'll go into Lorraine and George and their whole deal throughout the trilogy, is that just watching it with more of a critical lens, the fact that we see all these different versions of Hell Valley, but then when you realize that, you know, how much visual effects these, this, these movies have, the fact that they're dealing with, make, they're making them in the 80s, so they didn't really have CG. They can't go like Avengers Endgame style with, with things, mm-hmm. which is another, which is a movie that deals with time travel, that references this, just goes to show the influence that this movie has had, because that's essentially the Back to the Future <laughs> Part Two of, of the MCU. Uh, that so much of it takes place in one town square just completely redressed for different time periods and i don't think you really realize that until you watch it as an adult we're like oh so that's you know the bail bonds place and now it's you know whatever the cafe 80s or like everything is just that same set completely redressed for different different eras and i think that goes a long way to establish continuity to establish like the the one of the overarching themes of this trilogy which is kind of the more things 
change, the more they sort of stay the same. It's like the George Lucas Star Wars thing. It's like yes. like poetry. Mm-hmm. It rhymes, that kind of deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where you have all these parallels. And I, I <laughs> and it's just from a practical standpoint, means that they had to make one set and then just, you know, shoot everything in 2015 and then redo it so it looks like alternate 1985 and then redo it so it looks like 1955. You know, I think that kind of thing is so impressive to me when you see the, sort of the the filmmaking craft bleeding through a little bit. Yeah, and it I mean it for it just makes sense because obviously you're going back to the same town. So right. yeah, same set and then just seeing how things have evolved over over time, which is also very cool. Because that that is something that I that I also feel would would appeal to people is going back in time and seeing how, you know, how your town was and then also seeing it in the future and how how it's going to evolve. Um so that that's another that's just another cool thing that they that they end up including in um, among everything else right yeah exactly exactly the little touches the the ronald uh we talked about the details but the ronald reagan movie playing in 1955 mm-hmm. and all that stuff <laughs> was, was so much fun so which is which is hilarious and ronald reagan was was so excited about the fact <laughs> that they mentioned him in this movie <laughs> Like he made them, I think when he, um, when I'm not sure if he was seeing it in just like a regular theater, if he was probably, he was seeing it at like at the white house, but, uh, but he made them rewind that part a couple of times. (laughs) It's like Ronald Reagan, the actor. (laughs) Yeah. That's great. Um, I want to get into the George and uh, Lorraine stuff. So obviously Crispin Glover signed on for the first one, I think gives a really great performance as George McFly, who again, it's, it's, Mm -hmm. it it really shows how much, uh, how different a person can turn out just by their experiences, by their upbringing, by, you know, because you see in here, the George of 1985 is just a complete sad sack. He's just sort of uh, being bullied by the same guy for the last 30 years. And it's just in a, a marriage that's really lost its passion. And then he goes, you know, his son goes back in time and, and basically restores his self-respect. He stands up for himself. And, and I think that's as someone who's dealt with a lot of like social anxiety and things like that, that really, I think is an arc that speaks to me, especially just the fact that how different he turned out because his because of that experience and how it changed him and strengthened him as a character and that he was able to get his book published because when you meet him he's like oh i never let anybody read my read my you know my books what if they don't like it and what if lorraine turns me down and like that whole thing uh what are your thoughts on george mcfly's uh, arc and then crispin glover's absence from the sequels well, as you're as you're saying this, I'm I, you know I haven't looked this up or anything, but I feel like there must be some sort of uh, psychological developmental an- analysis on uh, all of these characters <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> um, like for because because it does you're you're right it does show how uh, different decisions impact impact your life and impact the way that you you see yourselves and how others see you. And I think that that was a great a great arc, uh, you know, barring what we what we already said about him kind of keeping Biff around in the in the future to just kind of like bully himself. Um, but but yeah, I do I do think it's it's interesting to see how one one decision, one moment in time, can completely change the way the way that you live your life from then on. And I think it's kind of it, in a in a way it's actually pretty inspiring. 
Mm-hmm. Just because I, I feel like it does have that, you know, like the end quote of the, the movie, the future is whatever you make it because you you literally make the choices. You are the one with the power to make these choices. And obviously they have, they they can have a very positive, hopefully, impacts. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I feel like that happens in every single movie because it's, uh, you know, obviously in the first one, it is, it is George. And then in the, in the second was it the third no it's the third one that they actually do get in the car to to race mm-hmm. um marty decides not to not to race and in the second movie obviously that's that's how they explain that he got into this accident and he broke his hand and then he wasn't you know he was never good at music any again and then uh that's that's what completely destroyed their lives and then he decides not to race um is his name miles I can't remember. Needles. The, needles, needles. Glee oh from okay. uh, the Red Hot yes. Chili Peppers. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> needles. Um, he decides not to race him. And again, that completely changes the course of history. They have no idea how at that particular moment, but the the note that Jennifer brought back from the future erased. And so I feel like there's there's that kind of through line throughout everything where, you know, you take... Uh, you know, you take the power in your own hands to make decisions and that can actually make a very big impact on your life. Yeah, yeah. They, that's the whole thing that the second one introduces is Marty's... Uh, Marty doesn't like being called chicken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, not, which is <laughs> or weird yellow. because... Or yellow. yeah. <laughs> which is weird because that's they don't have anything like that. That starts in the second one, at the beginning of the second yeah. one. And I it just by osmosis, I always felt like it was somehow in the first one, but it's not in the first one. They That's one of the things that they set up in, in crafting the stories mm-hmm. for two and three uh, together. Uh, yeah, I, I love that too, that the message in the end is just focus on your day-to-day decisions, live your life, go after what you want, blah, blah, blah. don't worry about where am I going to be in 10 years. Yeah, just and also don't worry about what people think, of, think about you. Just... Just, you know, do what you, what you feel like, do, or not what you feel like doing, but you know what I mean? Do what you, what you want to do that, um, you know, brings out the best you and that you think is right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of a, also as an aside, I think, as a, as a writer and a creative person, I noticed this time how much, considering they're, they're dealing with a, a time machine and technology and, you know, uh, 2015 flying cars and hoverboards, which we still don't have, by the way. I know. Um, I was really upset by that. <laughs> I was like, all right. I remember being like in the early 2010s being like, all right, you guys have like three years and then a hoverboard, yeah. please. I know. And I went, I went to watch Back to the Future 2 on the day that, you know, they released it back into, into select theaters on October 21st of 2015 right. as the day of like, oh, back, you know, you're in the future and you're just watching the future that they envisioned. And it's like, yeah, I, well, I kind of so wish it had, it had gone this direction, but... <laughs> I mean, we're still, we're obsessed with nostalgia. We, uh, we have (laughs) like, uh, screens everywhere. We thumbprints. I mean, I used to have a, I mean, I have, I got a new iPhone recently, Mm -hmm. so I don't have the thumbprint one anymore. I have the face, uh, the face one, the face Mm -hmm. ID one, but they thumbprints and our biometrics things are like everywhere. So there's certain things they got right. Just, yeah, not the flying ones, But where's the flying cards? Where, flying cars, where are the hoverboards? It, that 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 really disappointed me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Uh, but how much writing and just like the the written communication is a big motif in these, these movies. And I didn't even realize that until my most recent watch. Just the fact uh, George's book is one. The uh, the letter that Marty writes for um, 
Doc in the first one, the Marty, the letter Doc writes for Marty in the second one, which carries over into the third one. The paper, the the you McFly, the, you've been the you're fired thing uh-huh, in the third yep. one. All of that. It's like paper communication. And even like the faded pictures is like I, I think that it, it's funny that for a movie that's so, you know, involved with science fiction, that this tactile, you know, uh, physical paper is is so is such a kind of a running theme and i think that i just found that interesting huh yeah i i I never really considered that before um and i'm i'm actually wondering if that was just because like in the in that time paper was still a thing and so they didn't really consider the fact that it might not just it might not still be prevalent in future generations, like the fax machine. No one has fax machines anymore. Right, yeah, I, I noticed that too. That's one they definitely got wrong. We're way past the fax yeah. machine. Um, I mean, they looked fancier, but... That's true. And, and the, the fax machine prints out a copy, I think, in the closet where Jennifer is. Like, they're everywhere. just random yeah, printers I, I don't, everywhere. I don't... Why would you need that many copies? I, like, it's funny because I'm like, wait, so instead of like technology where it probably would just go to one particular thing or maybe a couple of it, it all of a sudden everyone just has multiple fax machines. This is weird. Right. <laughs> so Crispin Glover uh, in the first one, obviously we talked about how George is, George is fall, falls out of a tree and that was supposed to be how they met. So it was basically a relationship built from pity not built from her witnessing, you know, the strength of character that that he has and stuff. Oh, and uh, also that was another. That's another kind of like inappropriate <laughs> moment too, because he falls from the tree because he's right. a keeping Tom. I know, I know. <laughs> and, and then Marty, you know, observes that in dis in disgust for for all of us at least. So there's yes. that. But True. it's even the the beginning of that relationship is is markedly different. They mm-hmm. they fall in love under more. I, I don't want to say genuine circumstances because it was their their kid going back in time and and manipulating it a little bit from but behind the so, scenes. But it was still but, romantic. Like I yes. I feel I feel you know at some it, for some reason they were destined to be together, and it's just that this the way that it was structured the second time around it turned out a lot better for them. Right. He he's her he's her density apparently. Her density. Yes. <laughs> it's so romantic. Um, and uh, so she is obsessed with her son, uh, <laughs> Calvin Klein. <laughs> uh, I guess we should. What are your you know what are your thoughts coming from a modern context of Lorraine uh, Lorraine's character and that whole weird storyline with her and uh, and Marty. Uh, and in all of that mess, the whole, I do really love the moment where he's just like conflicted. Cause he's like, you're my mom, but you're so, 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 young. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I think, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously it's, it's so incredibly weird. Um, I, <laughs> but, but, you know, again, as a kid, I wasn't really thinking about that. I was thinking more along the lines of, when I was super young, just being like, oh yeah, of course this is bad because the mom needs to fall in love with the dad and it's uncomfortable mm-hmm. and not really thinking further than that. But yeah, she's, she is very handsy. And I think that Marty acts very appropriately by being like, all right, I'm leaving. I got to get out of here. <laughs> like, right. It's, it, it, it's a, an, a dynamic that hasn't aged well, obviously, but I mean, the movie, that's the whole Listen, point is that it yeah. is uncomfortable. Right. The movie recognizes this is awkward that for you to be hanging in this kind of situation with your mom, who's into you 
but it's not like something like big where you watch that movie year now and you're like, wow, she just had sex with like a 12 year old essentially in a man's yeah. body. It, it, it never goes that point. Like there's no point in this movie where Marty's like, well, you know, she's right there. Uh, Jennifer's not here. So who would not yeah. like, you know, there's no point where it, he even, he's even entertaining that as something that he, yeah. That so I, guess, I mean, like, he's just like, yeah, ew, no gross. Right. Ew. If you're gonna, if you're gonna do it, they did it at least in a way that I feel like was, right. was believable. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You still get that moment when Lorraine, uh, goes to goes to see him to ask him to the dance, where where Doc has that like wide eyed look, like he's just like, what the hell is happening? Here? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is the only scene I think that uh, Lloyd Christopher Lloyd and Leah Thompson are in together in the whole trilogy, which is weird. Oh really? Wow, I didn't realize that. I do still love that you have that moment where it almost looks like George and Lorraine's relationship again is going to be sort of is going to be sort of built on deception, built on. Marty coming over and pretending, you know, to, to pretending to come on to her and then him like air quotes saving Lorraine and that sort of being the thing. But the way that it happens is so genuine that it makes that the fact that he stands his ground e- even that much more poignant that he's still he sees that it's Biff. He is scared of Biff, but he also sees that Lorraine is in peril and he still decides to stand up to Biff and face mm-hmm. him and and has that, you know, no Biff, like you, you know, leave her alone, that kind of thing. And the big confrontation with the, the sort of slow motion, thing. not slow motion, but it just kind of, yeah, I, I don't know, yeah. that moment is just, it's just, I get the feels every time I watch it just because it is kind of, it is her seeing George for who he really is. Yeah. Not, and he actually, and he's right. actually, you know, standing up for, for her and for himself and, and, you know, doing, and, yeah, he. I and I, I. That brings up a good point because I wonder if their relationship would have been the same if it had been, you know, Marty who was who was in, who he punched, because it wasn't it wasn't a genuine action for for um for George. So he might have not believed in himself still, and therefore he might not have had the confidence in himself to actually be with Lorraine. Mm-hmm. So that that is interesting. That's an interesting point because, yeah, it might have been completely different if that had gone the way that they had planned. Which, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, why would you plan that? Like he could have done something because <laughs> originally it's supposed to be Marty being like, "Well, I'm gonna take advantage of her." Obviously, very uncomfortable about doing that, but still, right. um, he could have done something like just like yelled at her or something crazy in front of a lot of people. And then George could have come up and been like, Hey, don't do that. Blah, blah. And they could have, they could have like fought about it. And then he punched him. Like, why not? Why does the first thing that come into your mind? Yeah. Well, just come and punch me because I'm taking advantage of her. Right. Yeah. That, that is a little, that is a little strange. I didn't think about that literally until just now, but right. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think if it was, if it were, yeah, if it was any other situation from the the screenwriting perspective, obviously it wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to have that moment where he mistakes Biff for Marty, I guess. But yeah, from a logistical, why would he, I, I think because at that point he still assumes his mom was so like chased uh, and it's not until you, you get That's in true. the car where she's like <laughs> drinking and smoking and she's like, it's not like I've never parked before. And you're like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> Marty's just like, whoa, this is not what I thought my mom was like at all. Um, which is, again, where the comedy comes into play. But 
but yeah, I just love that moment. And I think it's probably, honestly, the most emotionally powerful moment in the trilogy is yeah, that that's, that mm. big sequence there, which we get, again, revisited in the sequel. And uh, they live happily ever after until old Biff goes and messes with things. Uh, so, so, you know, Crispin Glover obviously had sort of a legal issue with the, the movie, didn't come back for the sequel. So they, they recast him basically as a glorified stand-in for the long shots or for yeah. hanging upside down because he threw his back out and he's, you know, his face is obscured or just, there's a lot of moments where they're re they're redoing the first one from a different perspective with like mm-hmm. young Biff and, and uh, the second movie's Marty. And there you see the Lorraine and George through the door and George, just as George is coming into focus, it shifts over to, to, to the other characters, that kind of thing. Uh, and I, I think they find a lot of creative ways around it. What is your thought on how, <laughs> As as a kid, you know, I we probably didn't know anything about yeah, as a, any as a of kid, this. As a kid, I didn't notice because again, they kind of they, they do they do do a brilliant job about kind of working around that, and um, you know, obviously uh, using the footage from the the first movie, which which was brilliant because obviously, if you do if you do that, then you think, oh yeah, this person's in this movie. Um, but but yeah, it's uh, it is it is kind of sad. I wonder I wonder if they had gotten Crispin Glover, if it had if it would be any difference. Like if they were planning on some sort of storyline that would include him more. But uh, but but yeah, it's I, I I think that the obviously the way that it worked out worked out great. But I do kind of wonder what they would have done. Well, because the whole st- storyline of the second movie, at least in part, is. George McFly was murdered in 1973, as mm-hmm. we find out by Biff. And I, I, they really find a way to take that, the absence of, of uh, Glover and really fuel the story. They're like, all right, we don't have him there. So what happens to George McFly? Oh, he gets killed off. That makes our He's, villain yeah, exactly. even stronger. <laughs> that explains why we don't see him very much. Like it, it fuels Marty's motivation and the, the antagonistic relationship mm-hmm. with Biff, why he has to go and get that almanac back to restore his, like it all, it's, it's just from a like I don't know if they're teaching Back to the Future two in screenwriting classes. They probably don't because <laughs> it is kind of uh, looked down upon generally. But just the way that they make that all work, where you know, growing up, we didn't even notice that 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 was the case. We're like, hey, what happened to George? Like, oh, he's there, kind of, you know, from a kind distance. Of, yeah, across like, the like, it just yeah. Did, yeah, it didn't occur to me that that was that was anything other than this is just why they like they just wrote it this way, you know, right. Yeah, I, I I think that they dealt with that beautifully, and they still have uh, Leah Thompson around to, to do all the scenes where Marty gets knocked out and wakes up and on the twenty yeah. seventh floor or on the McFly <laughs> farm or whatever. All those parallels, like we were saying, uh, yeah, I I I think she's she's another one that I think gets overlooked in these movies. I feel like everybody's want- always Marty and Doc, but. Wilson and Glover and Thompson really, I think they they get uncover kind of underrated performances. Yeah, they they really do because I mean think think of the versatility that um that that Leah Thompson had to had to portray. Uh, you know, she has the the original character and then she has her teenage self, and then she has and then she has um you know this this kind of alcoholic like my life is in ruins kind of character and then she is an irish immigrant and mm-hmm. it's just it's very interesting um i feel i feel like she did a great job 
Um, and what I'm thinking now is what, you know, you know, in Back to the Future 3, she's obviously still the the mother fig- figure. And um, but then Michael J. Fox also plays Seamus McFly, who's who's, um, you know, his her her husband. I wonder if they would have tried to go with um, Crispin Glover if he had been signed up, up for the third movie or. Yeah, I would think so. I, yeah, <laughs> because now you're making me realize that it's. A, a character that played a character that looks like Marty and a character that looks like Lorraine as a married couple. And now that's yes. That's, kinda, and then that's the, kind of back weird. to the awkwardness <laughs> from the first one. Uh, yeah. That's an interesting point. I didn't even think of it that way. I just assumed, well, by that point I was just like, okay, yeah, I guess Christmas Glover is not in it, I guess. Yeah. Um, or like, or just like, okay, this is, yeah, of course, everyone is just kind of the older versions of themselves. That's fine. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so the third one, yeah, she, she's kind of there in the, in the background, sort of, uh, an integral part, but not really. And then I I feel like, is there anything else we have to say about Leah Thompson and Crispin Glover? Because I feel like we should do kind of a lightning round of of stuff throughout the trilogy that we didn't talk about (laughs) at some point, because I don't want to run too, too, too long, even though, (laughs) as you, you know, we could talk about this for hours probably. Oh yeah. Um, no, I think, I think that that kind of hits it. I, 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 I enjoyed them. I think again, they, they brought their own, their own kind of energy to the movie that, uh, worked well with, with everybody else. And it just, yeah, I think I, again, they're, they're part, they're part of the, the, the cast that made this whole, this whole series amazing. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And you also have James Tolkien as Strickland, who is, I think, one of the only other characters, mm-hmm. uh, actors that's in all three. Yes, Him, he's Fox, great Lloyd, too. Uh, Thompson, and, and Wilson. There's like the five of them. Uh, and Mary Steenburgen in the third one is, is Clara. I think it's it's very telling that I feel like I have really not brought up much about the third one. Uh, not because it's bad, because like, I, like you said, I think it does provide a, uh, a satisfying ending to everything. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I understand. And I think one, but I think one of my favorite things about the third one is that they do try to incorporate a lot of stuff from the prior two to create this through line, like, Mm -hmm. um, the whole, the whole clock tower thing. Um, you know, when, when they're talking to about, uh, you know, how fast can this thing go? They're unloading the, the clock in the back. And then you have, um, you have the the whole scene with the 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 duel or the the shootout or whatever they call it, right. and uh, and he comes out and he has that he has the uh, the bulletproof vest thing that he got from from the oven, and that is a direct tie in to the movie that Biff was watching in the yep. second the second <laughs> movie where uh, they were watching they, and he had the he had the bulletproof vest, and I'm like I want like. The, how did that tie in? It was, it was hilarious because I'm like, I don't think he was paying attention to the movie when he walked in <laughs> and was confronting Biff, but obviously something stayed with him. And then the first one with the uh, doc and the Libyans, how he survives the shooting. Yep. And others bulletproof vest. Yeah. There's a lot of that kind of thing uh, in the third one. There's a lot of care that goes into the third one. So even though it doesn't quite resonate with me uh, in the same way, I do, I do think it might be, I don't know if it's Christopher Lloyd's best performance, but it's definitely his most well-rounded performance of the three because he finally gets sort of his own love story and like his own, we get a little bit of him, a glimpse mm-hmm. of him as uh, his personal life. And, and yeah, we, he, we at least learn his favorite author. That's for yeah, sure. Exactly. He gets to, he gets to, to play like the lovesick teenager. And Marty is like, okay, we got to get, we got to do this correctly. It's we a role reversal. Exactly. About this. Yeah. And um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of interesting trivia that's, that's associated with that one too. Like the fact that uh, Michael J. Fox actually, when he was, when he was shooting the scene, 
scene with the um where, where, where they hang him he actually almost did choke oh boy um they went they and this is in his uh his uh autobiography or at least the first one lucky man um they you know because you're what you're supposed to do is you have the the hands under your under your throat and so that that actually creates um enough room so that it actually doesn't doesn't do anything mm-hmm. um but something about it he just slipped or something and um he he started like you know freaking out and apparently they were like hmm okay he's a good actor but i think something's actually wrong <laughs> and it was just like it was like oh man that really sucks like that it's just it's interesting like what what happens behind the scenes and like what people actually go through for 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 these for these kinds of scenes yeah and it's crazy when you think of things like that that don't even necessarily seem like they would be dangerous like oh he's just there it's just uh, they're pretending like he's getting hanged but it's like no (laughs) it's much more complicated than that (laughs) um Let's see. I, I don't really... The train sequence in the third one, obviously, I love that. And, uh, it, it, you know, it, it. I love that cameo that Christopher Lloyd has in this, this Seth MacFarlane movie that nobody saw but me, I think, called A Million Ways to Die in the West, where he <laughs> has a cameo as Doc Brown in the Old West, covering up his DeLorean that he has in, like, a stable. Oh, no that way! That's amazing! Which is probably <laughs> the most impressive part. And, and I, you know, I'm, I used to be really into Family Guy, and so I was kind of a sucker for McFarlane's humor back the, yep. back a few years ago when that came out. But that was the mo- one of the moments that really stood out to me. It was like, oh my god! And it fits with the storyline, because he's stuck in the Old West. Um, yes. That's but, amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. Uh, so we talked about the... I don't know if we talked about this bef- just before the recording or on the actual episode, but the fact that this this is one of the only... I think it was just before. The only, only trilogies that runs continuous from one to the next. One ends, two starts, like right that moment. And I, lo- I love that about it. I think that's why for me, it really kind of set the bar very high for sequel sequels. In that now, whenever I see a sequel and there's a significant time jump, it kind of annoys me something like the dark knight rises where it's like eight years later I'm like oh really come on now right. well, i want to see don't don't do that to me continue the story don't just jump and then another adventure like i like <laughs> the i like while having i like trilogies that are of a piece and even like the star wars trilogy the original one especially there is time between but it's you get the sense that nothing particularly of note to the main story happened during that time and i really like uh i really like that the, these movies just flow seamlessly from one to the next. It's just like this and Lord of the Rings are just made to sit there and binge, like spend a whole Sunday just watching all these movies. Absolutely. And I, I, I love that about it. Uh, we already said how uh 2015's not nearly as, as fun as it is in this movie. Um, <laughs> um, I love the I love the gag in the second. You notice these are a lot of from the second one. Um, the, like the, the gag in the second one where he goes, Doc apparently goes to a rejuvenation clinic. And oh, and he looks the same. He looks exactly the same. I love that. That's one of my favorite, like, <laughs> quick gags in the movie. Uh, the fact that Christopher Lloyd, as as John Mulaney points out, he's either his character is either forty or eighty. It's unclear. Yeah, he just he just is the only one that I don't think has any makeup on. I feel like they just darkened his hair a little for the nineteen fifty five. Exactly. Uh, is, is there any like quick and you know blinking you miss him kind of? jokes or gags like that, that that really stood out to you yes but now i can't remember any of them of course because i'm on the spot but i think but i think that there's so many of them like th- th- i think that it's worth any anybody re-watching um especially if you haven't if you haven't watched in in a number of years because it's th- th- they're they're everywhere 
And it really, and, and especially if you haven't watched in a number of years, there's probably a lot of things that you'll notice that you didn't before. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I've watched, I've watched these movies over and over and over again, my entire life. And I feel like I'm still discovering stuff about it. Yeah. There's just, there's so much detail involved in it. This little, you know, the, um, the mad dog is part of the, like, this is how Biff Tannen made his fortune. Like, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous style thing playing in front of right. this casino, <laughs> which obviously they had, they were shooting those back to back, so they knew about that. Uh, little Elijah Wood, speaking of Lord of the Rings. Oh, it, yes, Elijah Wood. Yes. <laughs> He's, that, that, was, that was hilarious when I first, when I first realized that was, that was him. And it's such a, it's such a bit part, but I'm like, it's like, oh my gosh, you grew up to be Frodo. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, the, I, I, uh, I really, the little recurring uh, catchphrases, obviously the, the great Scott and uh, Marty being like, this is heavy, it's Doc. Heavy, and, yeah. and the other one that I really like is that he's always it's like, I, I keep going back to Mulaney, but Mulaney mentions the thing about iced tea where he like keeps having a, uh, for Law and Order SVU, he keeps having to understand what like sex addiction is, I think it is. And Marty's uh-huh. just constantly asking Doc, like, Doc, are you telling me that, you know, <laughs> my mom has the hots for me? Like, that's kind of, he's constantly like, are you telling me that we're stuck here? Like, he's always asking <laughs> Doc for confirmation, I guess, to make it clear to the, to the audience what's actually happening. So I love that. The fact that it takes him half the first movie to stop saying things that make him seem like a crazy person. Uh, about the rerun on television or, you know. Yeah, it's uh, it's like, come on, dude. You At this point, you know, you know you what's are. happening. <laughs> yeah, like I've, uh, that's that's one thing that I that I, I never really get about about movies or movies or shows like this where where you're supposed to, like you, you clearly, like even though it's crazy and you think it's crazy and it's weird and it's not like not what you were expected, you know where you are. <laughs> Why are you acting like this? Right, exactly. Oh, Black Pass Maple. That's John F. Kennedy. Who's John F. Kennedy? <laughs> and he's the, he's the only, and he's the well-adjusted McFly. We've seen the family tree yes. all over the place, <laughs> and he's, the, he's like the the uh, the paragon of McFlies at this point. And is yeah, it's so funny. Uh, the fact that DeLorean was a real car, obviously, but I feel like now it might as well be the Millennium Falcon or the Batmobile. Like nobody actually thinks it was a real car, but it was. The people only know it from this it's definitely movie. a real car and they still do exist. They're um, not really, I mean, obviously not being mass produced, but they still are in existence. Um, and so, some, yeah, if you're lucky enough to to ever have one, please, please call me up because I... <laughs> I've been wanting a DeLorean my entire life because of this movie. <laughs> I feel like I've seen one on the road like one time. I, I was able like to sit in one. I was able to sit in one once because I went to, um, so there's an outdoor uh, an outdoor concert venue out here in, uh, the, or in Virginia. And um, it's called Wolf Trap. And they do uh, collaborations with the National Symphony Orchestra where the National Symphony, Symphony Orchestra will come and play the score to a movie while the movie is playing. Nice. It's really cool. So they did Back to the Future one day and we went to go see it and somebody somebody who was there drove up in a DeLorean and I I went up unashamedly and I was like, I am so sorry, but can I please sit in your car? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we get this all the time. Yeah. <laughs> here's a, here's a pair of Doc sunglasses so you can, you know, right. say when you're going, there are no roads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And especially since obviously if you're driving that into a back to the future thing, I'm pretty sure you're going to get questions, but that was really nice <laughs> right. of them. And it was a really, really um, awesome moment for me. <laughs> oh, that's cool. 
let's see. I, I I did notice a couple cool transition shots in the first and third one. There's a helicopter that appears like in the sky in the first one when they go from 55, 1955 to 85. And then in the third one, that's where the bridge just sort of appears. I think that kind of like the cinematography in these movies, I think too, gets kind of short shrift. Uh, I mean, obviously we've talked about the visual effects. I, I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure the only like frames of this movie that look a little wonky are when they're throwing down the hoverboards like onto the ground it looks sort of stop motiony but mm-hmm. other than that like this and these are movies that are over 30 years old at this point they look pretty seamless it's it, it's they it's do. crazy yeah. how and i think that's that's a testament to the fact that they clearly used mostly practical effects yeah, and I'm I'm like getting chills just thinking about it because again, that that I think that's just what makes this movie a classic is the fact that it was, you know, not not only was was the acting great, not only was was the chemistry between everybody great and the comedic timing and just just the script, uh they 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 were able to the cinemat- I mean the cinematography was great, they the editing was great, the um the music was very powerful. That was the last thing I was going to get so to. So powerful, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that Alan Silvestri, again, who did uh, the Avengers theme, who did Forrest Gump, who's done a mm-hmm. lot of, especially Zemeckis stuff. He's really, he's like Zemeckis's guy. Uh, one of my all-time favorite movie themes, like it's up there with Star Wars and things yes. like Jurassic Park mm-hmm. and a lot of the other John Williams stuff. Uh, it's so just that, just a few chords and you're just right back in, in the midst of this crazy three part time travel adventure. Mm-hmm. That, dun, 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 and you're like, Oh, that's it. I'm there. I'm, yep. I'm with it. I rem- I can picture the whole, the whole thing. Um, and in the first one specifically, the Huey Lewis of it all, the fact that yep. we have not only the power of love, which is obviously a classic, but back in time, which I think is kind of underrated. Uh, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> <laughs> and that, he's and Huey Lewis is in it. Exactly. The fact yeah. that he's the one that says, I'm sorry, it's just too loud. <laughs> to his own song where apparently Marty wrote The Power of Love in the movie. Oh, is that is that is that what they went with? I forgot. That's about what that. he's playing. That's what Marty's <laughs> band is playing. Uh, no, I know he's I know he's playing Power of Love, but I didn't know if that was supposed to be like he wrote it or not. Well, it's unclear. Then if Huey Lewis exists in this timeline, why is he standing there with glasses on, like judging you know, deciding who gets into uh the talent show or whatever it is? That's yeah, it's funny. Uh yeah. and even the 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 choices of, of songs for it, specifically the first one, the Mr. Sandman, Earth Angel, yeah, Johnny Be Good, great. obviously mm-hmm. not sung by Michael J. Fox, but still mm-hmm. all of that stuff. Uh is there anything we haven't covered? I feel like since we're oh, talking about three movies, I, I feel like we've hit a lot in a I feel relatively like, compressed yeah, amount I, of time. Yeah, I feel I feel I feel like again, we could just go on forever, especially since like there's there's so many cool like trivia facts. There are so many um, you know, things things from the actor standpoint. Um, but but yeah, I think I think that we've probably touched at least the main stuff, hopefully. Awesome. Um, <laughs> so if for people listening to this that haven't gone to see, first of all, if you haven't seen Back to the Future, the hell's who wrong with you? you? Yeah, yeah, who are well, you? I, I, yeah, exactly. I don't understand. You need to, you need to check yourself before you, uh, you wreck yourself. Yeah, show, trying to show think your, of, I was trying to, <laughs> trying to think of a Back to the Future pun, <laughs> but I, I didn't, I didn't get there. <laughs> show, show your three-year-old children. It's fine. I turned out fine. Um. <laughs> I actually haven't shown my three-year-old yet. I'm like, I don't want to have to answer what is Biff trying to do to that's, the rain you know in the what? car that's, or whatever. 
That's very fair. I, I mean, I, I obviously like had had a very a good experience, but um, my dad also showed me like Terminator Two when I was probably about four or five years old. So <laughs> nice. Um, again, another one of my favorite movies, and movie. I don't think I was scarred from. But but yeah, I guess it. I guess maybe it's not the proper advice, but. But yes, if you show have, your kids, you have, <laughs> show your kids when, when it's age appropriate, whatever that is, is up to you. Let's put it that way. Um, but yes, if you haven't seen it, definitely see it. It's, it, I mean, it's not even like some of these more classic films that maybe, you know, are black and white and maybe have a, or, or like, you know, a slower paced or whatever and have maybe a, a higher barrier of entry to, to modern you know, modern audiences, this is just like, it plays like it was made yesterday, basically. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it just moves. It just, it's that tightly scripted and, and like you were saying, edited and all that stuff. And if you haven't seen it in a while, definitely check it out. They used to be on, on Netflix, but I think they just left because I literally just checked to see if they were That's on okay. You can not. You can buy the DVDs. You can um, stream it mm-hmm. on many services. I mean, you might have to pay, but it's totally worth it. I they- completely, I completely recommend it. They have a 35th uh, anniversary trilogy box set, I think, that's coming. Mm-hmm. Either it just came out or is coming out. Uh, I'm not yes, sure exactly. Yes, and I plan on getting that because I feel like, I think I have every single one. I, I still have the only VHSs that I still own are Back to the Future. Wow. Yeah. Dedicated. <laughs> even even I, I think I had them on DVD, the 25th or whatever, and then yes. I upgraded to the 30th on Blu-ray. And now I'm like, I think I'm good unless they like, throw something crazy out there. Well, you know, they always have something, you know, like the, the ride was, was on one of them. And yeah, I don't know. And, and obviously I'm just, I'm just a fanatic. So I'll, I'll, I'll collect anything back to the future. Related. Yeah. You'll have to <laughs> let me know what, what's on the 35th. That's different. And whether it's worth my, I will. Worth my money again, <laughs> watching the second one actually. And I had a note about this that I was just like, eh, I don't know if we need to cover that. I would love to see a super cut of one and two sort of edited together because you have all that footage in two that references one, like show me what that final picture looks like when mm-hmm. there are multiple Martys and docs running around. I, I, yeah. I, I'd love to, if that was on there <laughs> sold is what I'm saying. So <laughs> universal get on it. Uh, Vanessa Taylor, if there's nothing else, can you tell people where they can find you on social media? Yes. Thank you. Um, you can find the geeky waffle at the geeky and as well as uh, Twitter, Twitter is at geeky underscore waffle. We also have a Facebook group, the Geeky Waffles, and uh, Instagram is also the Geeky Waffle. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and giving me an excuse to to talk about one of my favorite movies and movie franchises and bringing Back to the Future to the table. Uh, we'll definitely have to get you back on at some point and. Uh, and see what, what we can what we can dig into next time. Hopefully, not a trilogy of movies. This was a little. <laughs> this was a, first a lot of prep work for me, and secondly, <laughs> and not that I you know that, that I'm gonna turn down an uh, excuse to rewatch these movies, but also just a lot to cover. I'm like, how do I cover all yes, of this? For sure. Are you telling me I have to cover the Back to the Future trilogy in one episode? <laughs> it was a little bit of that. Um, but yeah, thank you for giving me an ex- excuse to cover that, and we'll we'll be in touch definitely about getting you back on. Awesome. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thanks, Vanessa. If you're interested in joining me on the show to chat about one of your favorite films, head on over to crookedtable.com slash guest. Or you can consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash crookedtable. Of course, you can always find more podcasts, reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies over at crookedtable.com. Until next time, this has been the Crooked Table Podcast, and I've been Rob. This has been a production of crookedtable.com. All rights reserved. Z-R-O-O-K-E-D. Z-R-O-O-K-E-D. <laughs>